Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back, film fans. This is Beer Bourbon in a Movie. I'm Tawana. And I'm Vaughn. And we're two filmmaking cinephiles dedicated to the art of film, the taste of a good beverage, and everything in between. We're glad you're back, people. So grab a seat, film fans, beer drinkers, and bourbon lovers alike. This is episode 48. Oh, yeah. Today we're going to be talking about The Farewell and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, Tawana, what are you drinking today? So, because of the films we are reviewing today, um, one one takes place in New York, one takes place in California. I really want to do something Chinese-related, but that proved to be difficult. So, and Singtail tastes like crap. No offense. Just my personal opinion. Um, maybe some people really like it, but not for me. Um, so, I just went with something a little more New York. Very for me, good. For me, I don't know. I, I just wanted to go with it and, and see what I could find. And so, what are you drinking? What is that? So, I found Kelso Pilsner, uh, brewed in Brooklyn. It's basically a, a Czech Pilsner, uh, like a bohemian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really golden. Slightly sweet. It's got a bit of a floral aroma. Um, very dry. Um, and they use like a, a, a sterling hop, which okay. gives it like that dryish finish. I, I like it. It's a uh, it's tasty. Um, pretty decent. I, I def- I'm also really curious about their nut brown, but we'll try that one at another time. I think. But I think this works well with like the New York's part of the farewell. Okay. And um, I really like their New York sections. And so this felt a little New York to me. So, yeah. So what are you drinking, Vaughn? Well, I went New York also since part of the first film was, uh, one of the films was in New York. I also went New York, and I'm doing uh, what's called Black Dirt, and it's out of Warwick, New York, which is a little further upstate. Um, really good. This this distillery, Black Dirt Distillery, is known for their gins, but they also make a bourbon and a rye. And um, I'm trying the bourbon today. It's uh, been aged three years in the barrel. It has a, a spicy note to it because there is uh, like 8% rye in it. Mm-hmm. So that gives it a little spicier kind of peppery taste in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it gets smoky in the back. But it has, it's, it's, it's a nice full-bodied experience. I didn't really expect that because most of the times when I'm trying bourbons from New York and other places, it's not as full-bodied as the ones that I love from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But... In this drink, you know, it, it's it's pretty nice, and I, I like that that peppery flavor to it. And and today I'm drinking it with as a whiskey sour, which was showcased in the movie uh, Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. That yes, I, prominently. Yeah, that that um, that Leo, was Leo was drinking. Leo was drinking constantly. So, um, in the film. I de- I decided to go with that, and it, and it adds that little extra kick to it. And you know. It's only forty-five uh, percent alcohol per volume, so it's not too heavy on you, but it's it's still good. It's still good. It yeah. works out well. Mm-hmm. Well, before we start the the reviews of the films, let's talk a little bit about industry news. Oh yeah, um, I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of uh, information, a lot of releases that came out within the time when we last recorded, like a couple weeks ago or so. Um, so mostly film. Yeah. So sometimes I have like festival news, and I have, this was a lot of like um, like studio news. Okay. So I'm sure you've heard by now. 
Um, and if you haven't, then this news to you. There is a new James Bond. New 007. New 007. She's a new 007. She's not a James Bond. Whatever. She's, double, she's 007. Let me tell you how I feel about it. You didn't want Idris? You didn't want a black guy? Now you got a black woman. So good luck with that shit. Because when you didn't want this black dude, a woman is your next counterpart. This woman is going to be stronger and even more dynamic than I think Idris would have brought to the role. Because well, she well, has an opportunity now, to do more things. She's not Bond. I know she's, she's not Bond. A, she's an agent. I know she's an agent. That's the that's the that's the difference in the whole thing. We understand. They could have even made Idris an agent, and it's and been done with the whole but thing. But yet, it seemed like they were hesitant. And well, of so course they were. Now this is this is a drastic U-turn in comparison to what we thought we might have gotten. I don't know. I love the fact that they went all the way. I love the fact that they went all the way too. I yeah. think they got flack from e- from the Idris stuff. Oh, I know they oh, did. Sure and they so did. they were like, "Fuck!" Now we really have to like, put, yeah. put Oprah in this. Yeah. No, I love that they, <laughs> they went were all like, the way. We put have Oprah to do. We it. have to do. What I mean is, they were like, "We have to put someone like a powerful, you know, representative uh, agent yeah. in it in some way. We're gonna really have to one up that." Yeah. So that's exactly what they did. Um, but well, yeah, I'm excited. They're out of the books now too, so yeah, they're out of the books. They can do whatever they want to do with. And they the introduced story. her in the in the last film at the end. Yeah. So it was there was a whole thing, so it, it was interesting. So anyway, um, they're redoing Jacob's Ladder with oh God. Michael Ely. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder with um, oh God, what was his name? So horrible. Um, Do you mean Jason's lyric? No, I know what Jason's lyric is. Jacob's ladder was done in the nineties. Oh, with uh, yes, yes, yes. With, it was uh, with Tim Robbins. Yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's basically uh, about a a veteran a Vietnam vet who's mourning his um his uh his dead child and is 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 pretty much haunted, and so he's running around the city um. Really, this was the severe case of disassociation. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to redo it, but with Michael Ely in tow. There's no news on, like, if they're going to follow the same suit, but they said that he is a veteran. Mm. So I would assume he's dealing with some sort of PTSD, a disassociation, some sort of issue. Right. And so I don't know if there's a child. I don't know if all that's going to come into play again. But, yeah, it still takes place in New York. It was a whole thing. And he did a similar, uh, Michael Ely did a similar kind of role when he was in, um, um, oh God, it was with, uh, he was a soldier and he was going to throw the baby out the window because he had all PTSD. I remember um, that one. I remember when they were shooting it here too. It was done in the 90s. I don't know um, um, uh, For Color Girls, they did a For Color Girls and, and Michael Ely was in it. He was one of the women's husbands that w- was about to kill the baby. Was it? And, and it's very, 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 very. Deep. I mean, I saw it for color girls. Very, it was very, a while very ago. traumatic. Um, but anyway, he'll be good at it because Michael Ely can do these. I just don't know where they're gonna take it. I hope they kind of keep some of the same essence of the film, um, and 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 maybe just one up it. I guess uh, technology wise, right? Um, right. Even story wise, if you're gonna like modernize it a bit, but yeah. we'll see. Also. Black Panther 2 is officially in development. Oh, yeah. So get your kente cloth. Be ready. And all your black friends together. 
Because <laughs> we all knew it was coming back. We going back. back. Yeah, we, we definitely going back to Wakanda. Wakanda forever. <laughs> so we back. We're going back to Wakanda <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I hope that they continue with the franchise and they're able to. To, to, to continue for at least a couple more films. Oh, they will. Because it, it was fun. It's a moneymaker. And it's a moneymaker. And so seems like Black is in because yes. they also remaking Blade. Yes. With Mahershala Ali. Yes, they are. And he's a, he's a good choice. For that, he's good because he was in uh, he was in the Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Guy. And he looked very bladish. Yeah, for sure. With those blue eyes. Yeah, so... Plus the glasses, the whole outfit. Mm-hmm. He had that whole black leather thing going. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. And continuing with that trend is um, Harriet. Yes. I'm looking forward with, to With uh, Cynthia Erivo. Yeah. I'm so I'm very that. excited about that. That trailer was really good. So I'm excited that someone woke up and decided it was good to be black in Hollywood and yeah. start making a bunch of representation shit. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Because so. I'm very excited for all these things. Yeah. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, blackness coming out of Hollywood, which is really interesting how they're doing it because you get you get some old school stuff, yeah. you know, your your slave time narrative, which I have no problem with because Harriet, Harriet was that. Woman. Well, it looks very reminiscent to uh, Underground. Yeah, a bit. she was she was not intense. As, not hip hop, but you know, it's still got Underground it. it's, that it's story. Still, mm-hmm. still feels a little bit modern, like Absolutely. that TV show. And the thing that. You know, these are stories that need to be told. She's been a heroine forever. She's a hero in in black culture, and she should be celebrated for everything that she stood for and everything that she did. And uh, I think it's good that we're going to see her story being told. And um, for me, I'm I'm, since we're talking about everything black, I'm I'm back with uh, Uncle Nearest because they just launched their small batch, which I'm very excited about. And this is the bourbon we talked about in the last episode out of Tennessee, and Uncle Nearest was the man who taught Jack Daniel how to craft bourbon. And he's literally the godfather of bourbon, y'all, mm-hmm. from Tennessee. And so, um, once again, this is a black man, and, and this distillery is now being run by a black woman, which is, she's the first in history, so shout out to her, yeah, Don Weaver. And um, once again, like I said, they've introduced a small batch Please look for it because their premium batch, the one I talked about last week, was excellent. So I'm excited for this 1884 small batch because I'll be buying, I'll be buying that and I'll be sampling on the show. Absolutely. All right, so let's uh let's, let's start talk the, about some movies. Talk about the movies. All right, so we start with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, of course. Written yeah. by Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie. Few other nuggets here and there, like Timothy Oliphant, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell. The late Luke Perry. Late Luke Perry. On and on and on. He had a very brief part. I thought there would be more, but nevertheless, he was in it. Yep. And so the story is about a faded television actor and his stunt double who strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood, sort of like golden age in in, um. 1969 in LA. Yeah. Um, what do you think? You want to start it off? I um, I like the movie. I uh, I had, it's it's your typical Tarantino fare. One uh-huh. one thing you know he gave us all those those tropes that we usually like from him is is that that buddy 
Yeah. Almost like a buddy comedy, just like he did with uh, Pulp Fiction. He brought a lot of that in there. Yeah. Then there was this, these moments of Jackie Brown and those mm-hmm. kinds of films where you saw them just kind of going through the day-to-day experience and, and these weird mm-hmm. things would happen to them or these weird experiences would happen to them. He brought a lot of that into this piece. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, and as you know, we saw it together. So mm-hmm. our reactions were, or at least my reaction to it was that I wanted, I've been wanting more from every film I've seen in the last six months. Oh, I definitely wanted more. I wanted more. This wasn't here. the usual Tarantino film. I wanted more from that. It and, wasn't and, horrible. It just wasn't the usual. Yeah, it just, it, you just, ex- I just expected something different. And right. like I said, it really amped it up. It amped up in Act Three for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to spoil the end for everybody, but. Like I said, they could have peppered us with some some more yeah. things in the beginning. I love the sequences about Bruce Lee and, and his involvement in all this thing. You know, it's just like, is this part of Tarantino's imagination? Because he has this whole love for martial arts in that whole time period. Because he, he always celebrates martial arts in some way. So it was interesting that he chose to put Bruce Lee in this film. Mm-hmm. But... Like I said, I just wanted a little more from it, you know? I just feel like 70s, little bit of the 80s is his, like, I think, like, the first half of the 80s, I guess, is his mainstay. That was, I don't I don't remember how young, how old he is, but that had to be the t- a point in time in his life where he was the most absorbent of yeah. culture. Yeah, because he would absorb all those um, he, he, Saturday afternoon he's just a film martial arts films and old school films. And so he absorbs every single thing. He's also a cultural sponge mm-hmm. because his thing was he just had um, so much. Okay, so whenever he makes his films, you can tell it's very emergent and, and immersive, rather, excuse me, in terms of the period in which he is um, 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 depicting. And so this, of course, was like late 60s, early 70s. So he had all the cultural references, right? Like all the vintage posters we put on our walls now. He had like car culture. Of course, this is L.A., so it's going to be a bit more car culture. He had, which I said to Vaughn, there was a lot of car radio um, background. There was a lot of car ads, like radio ads. And so it was just like, I said to Vaughn, when's the last time you heard a radio? Right. You know? Right. And I was like, it, it was so reminiscent of like when we were kids and we would be in cars. Yeah, because you would hear the you'd hear the people talking. You would hear radio. You'd hear music and then you'd hear interview. You you'd know, hear you'd hear commercial, actual commercials. You hear commercials. You would hear things like that. Yeah. And so even, even within your home, people would not just play records and, and they would play the radio. Yeah, you would hear the radio. So you would get an instant playlist, right? Because yeah. now people make their fucking playlists or they go to you know, Spotify or whatever and hit playlist and that's that's their life right yeah. so but the radio was sort of your instant playlist so it would that was very prevalent in the film and it just really acted as background noise so so the clothes the playboy mansion pan am yeah. lots and lots of smoking oh yeah for um sure. which is a sin now Right, apparently. <laughs> um, TV Guide. I kept saying, yeah, like, there oh was my just God, so many there's cool a TV there. Guide. Like, I forgot all about TV Guide. You know, they had um, big into race cars. Cults was a huge yes. thing in the 70s. This is when, you know, profilers began and and, and the, the emergence killers. of 
the emergence, I shouldn't even say in life, but the emergence of the authorities recognizing that serial killers exist yeah, because they sure. always existed. For sure. Um, they just were never pointed out. Right. You know, they were never revealed, rather. That's true. And so movie stars, life of, ex, of ass, excess, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, lots of drinking. Uh, like you were saying, lots of references to bourbon, Bloody Marys, whiskey sours, just all of that. Yeah, there was and, a lot of that. Like, I felt like um, Brad Pitt reminded me of, like, Robert Redford, but with a Steve McQueen attitude. Yeah, for like, sure. Right? For sure. It was like it was like the bad Robert Redford, <laughs> like a badass guy, like the wind blowing in his, in his hair. hair no stuff, yeah. one had any idea about speed, um, like uh, like uh, speeding. Yeah, and <laughs> any sort of like car. safety in the car. No seatbelts. Of the, I don't remember when we had to put seatbelts on. There were no until seat we had to put seatbelts. That was the eighties. That was yeah. I remember us just flying around in the backseat of the car. Yeah. Wee! Right. Meanwhile, we don't know. We realize we're, we're, we're about to lose our lives. We're dying of secondhand smoke. And we could die of a drunk driver because no one gave a shit about that either. Yeah, this, is, this is pre-mad. <laughs> so this was pre-mad. That. And plus those cars were tanks back then. So it was just like, it was just all of that. Well, you know, I, I think, and you were talking about Quentin Tarantino. He's actually... Um, 56 years old. Okay, so yeah. And, and he's from Knoxville, Tennessee. And I think he he's he kind of grew up. I didn't realize he was Southern. He grew up in that that time right. where these superstars were, were, were heroes. And they yeah. went from television to movies and, and so on and right. so forth. And that's why we saw all the references to like Big Valley and right. um, uh, Gunsmoke and Bonanza and all right. that because that's the stuff he was watching on TV as a little kid. Yeah. So I think it, it was it's interesting that he he kind of took this tone and it, it feels like it's almost like he's feeling his age in Hollywood where you say exactly. well where is my career going to go now? What's going to happen to me now? And that, that was kind of represented in, in how DiCaprio's character was was kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen to him. Well, he was in the he was in the middle of the change. Right, he's part of a change. He's part of a change. And and you know, in there in there there were constant references to the hippies because that was the new wave and the, the new these the, new the hippies, kids. The hippies were the millennials. Right, the they were that they were that group of kind millennials of, right? where it was like you know what's going to happen. They considered them to be far more deviant because they, right. they were anti-war. They were anti-war. They were doing drugs. They, they were doing drugs. Know. They were free sex. Right. They were, you know, they were into all of that. Yeah. And so that's when the world just Draft started changing. Dodging, no taxes. Right. And, you know, long hair and so on and so forth. So it was like. And it was almost anti-American. Yeah. And in, in, in a totally different free the world kind of space. Right. So I think that, you know, it was good to see that and you could, you could kind of watch how you try to figure out how your life is going to gonna land you because if you look at how Brad Pitt character was, you know, he was kind of downtrodden. His whole his whole not, world he, had kind of He was imploded. a definite underdog. You know what I mean? And he was just still, you know, he was cool with just driving. Well, he said they had been trying around. to put him in jail all his life. Right. He certainly wasn't going to jail for no you know, 18-year-old. And he lived like in a junkyard behind a movie, behind a drive-in you movie theater. You know how he lived? Remember how um, Mel Gibson lived in uh, Lethal yes, Weapon? Yes, Lethal Weapon, He yes. was the epitome of yes, him. he was. He, he was. lived with a dog in a trailer behind a drive-in movie theater. Yeah, and they had, the beauty of it was they had, 
those those cans where you know not the can it's of, the pull tabs the pull tabs and all those cans and like I the, wish I could have found those. the dog food cans where the, the stuff used to just plop Slide out. out and it was just like there were just so many references to the that macaroni and cheese in the in the pot and that, that horrible stuff is still around and people, people still eat stop eating craft macaroni and cheese. but you know <laughs> I'm just kidding shout out to craft if you like craft you're welcome please to do eat it. it all day but you know or, it was just it was just so you could eat casserole. Right, but it was just so interesting to see, you know, what is going to happen to you. And think about it with with DiCaprio's character, he was living well, but he was still trying to figure out what was going to happen to him because he's aging. He was living well, but he was on the edge. Right, he was, he was he a was, show away from right. from living. He was aging in an apartment and trying to figure out what was going to happen with his life. Yeah, and you know, I think there there are a lot of actors, you know, not just actors, but people in general who are in the same kind of crossroads in yes. their life, and you know. I think that Quentin did a great job of Absolutely. showing that. Absolutely. And and this is where it would have been nice to have a little bit more of that. Like a little bit more of the the connection with him and Brad, mm-hmm. you know, with, with DiCaprio and Brad and how they're gonna manage that. Right. They kinda they kinda skimmed over it in a couple of different places. Well, I think they skimmed over it because they're two completely different guys on yeah. two completely different tracks. Right. Because Brad Pitts is easily headed for a downfall. Yeah. DiCaprio could pull out. I mean, he could get a show. He got he has still has friends. I mean, he's not gonna be poor, but Brad Pitt certainly could, Yeah. Was, I mean he was already poor. And you know, and and, <laughs> and how things were gonna happen for him because, you know, things were gonna change for him very quickly. Yeah. After that night. But it's just like, okay, now you're you're seeing what this kind of looks like. And I loved how they introduced the younger characters into the role, like the little girl and how yeah. she was she the was studying the, the craft. Oh, oh that, no, you're talking about the girl, child. The yeah. little girl, the child. Yeah, she was child studying the craft and trying to understand her her role in Hollywood and her right. place. And it just the fact that in the, the conversation that she and, and DiCaprio had in the film, that said a lot to this is the new generation. This is what's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when we saw signs of the cult and what they were trying well, to do. Also in Timothy Oliphant's character yeah, as well. Yeah. He was the next generation of, yeah. of Leo. So they really had that all together. But I feel like this is also a meditation on Quentin realizing his own mortality. Mm-hmm, because for, I, sure. for me, it just seemed like he was saying how fake Hollywood truly was. Yeah, um, Everything is fake. Behind the They're as fake as the costumes, the sets, the makeup. The people and their personas are completely are completely fake. It was just the possible fragility of an actor's life. Well, yeah. you also have to remember, like, like this is a really important period of American cinema because you really are transitioning from the studio system. Yes, you've the Hayes production code has gone away; it's replaced yep. by the rating system. So you know you have a deep influence of European cinema. Mm-hmm. You have the old studio heads don't know what to do with this in this new realm. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle right. the blockbuster hasn't come along yet because right. right the blockbuster came along in the eighties. Yeah. Films were grittier, and you also have a transition from more like acting styles. Yes. Like, you know, like becoming like that, that sort of that artifice of the cinema was the, breaking down. The tour was um, in full effect because Hitchcock had made like Psycho by the 60s. There was Peep and Tom. Yeah. And those guys were auteurs. Yeah. Yeah. You and, know? you know, and, and, then it, they were, and they were introducing the concept of the spaghetti western, you know, those Italian films right. that right. would happen during the time. Oh, and by the way, folks, this is uh, Kevin Fairchild. He's, hey, one of our, he's, he's working. Uh, he's filling in for, for us. Uh, 
for Mr. Alex there. Yes, who's out. And uh, thank you, uh, Kevin, for joining yes, us thanks, today. Kevin. Happy to be here. And uh, like you said, I think this was a, a big transitional time mm-hmm. in our in cinema history for sure. Yeah. But I think this also cues in kind of where we are today. Yeah. Because I feel like this is the, this is what Tarantino's really talking about. But this is also yeah. a transitional time. Yeah. And for and, a lot of different things. And, and yeah. the fact that, you know, you have all these streaming services and you can produce a film that could, that's now going to be streamed everywhere as opposed yeah. to being in you these don't, major You don't theaters. have to go to film school. Right. You don't have to do you all those things. You don't even have to really even understand the craft. No. People just point and shoot. Right. Um, if you got an iPhone, you can make a movie. Got an iPhone, you can make a movie. So I mean, those, all these things are yeah real. All these things, are and very I think real. that even the politics are very similar. Yeah, yeah. There was a changing of the guard. The old guard was going out, and the new guard was coming right. in. There was the age of activism. We're we're right. celebrating and experiencing that right now, actually. And you know what was interesting to me? There was no reference to the war. And considering this was nineteen sixty nine, they did say some stuff about the war. But it was what was it? What the was girl it? said a few things. The the girl from the cult, she was like, "Fuck the war, fuck Vietnam." Um, she had said something else, and then he was referenced as a war hero a couple times. Yeah, the, and that's the part that I cued in. But there was like you, I expected it because of that time period that there would be a little bit more. But once again, they were also in in California, right? So that made it a little easier to kind of skirt around it a little bit. Well, yeah. As a mentor of mine once said. Um, films that are made about other periods of time are rarely about that other period of time. They're about the period of time they're in. And he would always use Gone with the Wind as a really, really, really shitty film about this, the uh, the Civil War. Mm. It's a great film about America between the wars. Right, right. And the way that you deal with that, it's sure. it's always about the time in which the film is made and not what the film is made about. Very true. Oh, funny how you mentioned Gone with the Wind. You know, it's still the number one movie based on it inflation. Is. It, it is. is still, after all this time and all the other blockbusters that have come many years later, really? it is still the number one movie ever made. Last time I looked into it. There's actually still a theater in Atlanta that is playing the film three times a day. And oh, they have I'm not stopped sure. since it was opened. So it it, it, it sure. amazes me I'm that sure. this, this is the power of film, and that's the that's also the beauty of it. Because, like I said, in this film, you saw a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. You saw sets moving around. Mm-hmm. You saw actors Wars. going in and out of costumes. You saw the, the culture of it, right? And and what it really meant, and then the when they're just sitting in the downtime where they're just kind of talking around and they're normal people like that whole setup with Bruce Lee, with Bruce Lee yeah. and and um Pitt's character yeah just amazing cuz there's a lot of time on a set where you're just waiting, waiting. for your stuff and and lights waiting for and lights set, and, and camera and moves and people so it's like you're just kind of waiting and you know as as an actor I can only imagine like you're just trying to. I think their wait time it. is even more because yeah. we're at least we are working, right? <laughs> it's it's we, definitely because we even so we even have to wait a little bit sometimes. So we have to wait for lights, right? We have yeah. to wait. We have to wait for electric. Oh, oh! The crew sheds a tear for the DP. Right. <laughs> we have to wait. We do have to wait. Hey, listen, I'm not always a DP. I've always also been a, a first AC, a second AC, and I have to fucking stand there with that slate. And yeah. that camera, right, close by, Apple boxes at the ready. So it's like you know, we still have to wait and stand around for a while. And if I have to wait, then, then fucking the stand-ins are there. Like everybody, yeah, everybody. There. But then again, you know what? I don't feel so bad for the actors. They've they've like uh, 
you know, trailers. Well, shit. they can sit up in their trailers, yeah. But you know, it's it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. But it's here's the thing with that though that I always think is really weird though because like, but they have to go from being not in character right, to being in right character. In. And they they don't have the with very few exceptions they don't have the privilege of filming in sequential order. Right, so all of a sudden you know when you're filming in one location, they have to go from being happy to sad to angry right. in three different parts it of is. the story instantaneously. I agree. So don't I get think, me wrong. Yeah, I, and that's, I mean, the, that's I did, the one thing the little girl talked about. I did take a class called directing for actors, yeah. and I fucking hated it because I was like, I will never be an actor. This is a real skill. Yeah. yeah. It is, <laughs> this it is, is a, a real, real skill. skill and this is a real job and I will never question them again. And I love how they the sh- little girl was talking about that right. and how, you know, how she was wanting to stay in character. And there are a lot of actors who Well, like that's to what I was going to say. They character. talked about the process. They showed the process mm-hmm. cuz how how um how Leo went went through his lines by himself. Right. Right. Um, so he had like a whole, a whole reel the reel yeah. and he did one half and then he would respond in the, in his act. I thought that was brilliant. And even when he was, was interesting, when he was in his trailer and he was breaking down his day in the mm-hmm. scene that he had just been in and how he didn't like his performance, mm-hmm. how he would talk to himself in the mirror about it. I think yeah. there is something to be said about the, 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 the skill and the art and the, the, yeah. and the talent of an actor. I think we, so many times we just, as viewers, we just go to films or watch films on, on our streaming devices and so on and so and forth. Don't realize and it. don't realize what it really takes to make a it movie. It does take a lot. And at any moment, your uh, your partner in the scene could throw you off. Right. Forget right. a line, drop a line, and you have to redo it. And where your intensity and your level was up... Right. Can, it can diminish after 79 takes, right. which right. is a real possibility yeah. to have so many takes. For sure. Um, and so a lot of that was really interesting. I wanted to talk about uh, a little bit about the cinematography. Yes, please. Um, Robert Richardson, who has been a cinematographer for a very long time. Um, he's an American cinematographer. He's done a lot of work with Quentin, um, Scorsese, Stone, so he's done like Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill, Aviator. All the big ones. All those big, like glorious ones, Wag the Dog, all this. He did this, of course. And so uh, what I liked about it, there was a lot of black and white, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially when they would go to 35 millimeter film stocks. There was a lot of that, which I thought was really interesting, and they they exhibited all that. They yeah. showed projectors. And they, they showed real the real. Very well. They showed um, they showed uh, mags. What do they call those, Kevin? When they have them in the box. The reels. So, they they're called reels. I wasn't sure if there was another name. When they're I, the, when they're in the projector room. Yeah, yeah. So you have you have two thousand foot reels. You have two Ks. Right. And so then they go they into the cans. The, yeah. So they're on the reels and they go into right, cans. Right. So they had the cans. They had a, like a series of cans. Yeah. Um, so they showed all that. So I thought that was interesting because people don't normally see that. Yeah. Um, and, and there's actually a, um, a quick plug. <laughs> I hate doing this, but no uh, there's one theater left in Denver that actually still exhibits on 35 millimeter. And wow. they were very proud to actually show this on 35. I bet. Um, the way that it was meant to be seen. Oh, so, was it meant yeah, to be seen? It was meant to be seen on 35. Weren't you saying they were showing it in 70? In uh, Cinema, Cinema e- uh, Village East, they're showing it in 70. In New York, yeah. yeah. Here in New York, and so, um, and one of my colleagues here, Paige Blake, uh, shout out to you, Paige. She was we were talking about because she thought I was going to see it there, but I was right. seeing it at the other theater. Right, right. But because um, she's going to see it there, but it's it's interesting because I think that 
we we're so in a digital age that I think that it's important to kind of look back Very important. and to see what it really takes. And I have a friend who is actually working on a film right Absolutely. now and they're actually shooting his movie on film. Yeah. And they've already told him as the actor, you have got to really prepare Bring it, yourself. Because I'm not doing too many takes. You know, there's only expensive. so many takes you can be able to do. This because is expensive. You're burning through this film pretty quickly <laughs> and it costs two, a lot of money. I'm a two take director. Right. So it just if you think about that, <laughs> if you think about that, and I worked on films with you, uh, Kevin, you Tawana, yeah. I think that we get so comfortable in the digital space. That you forget what but we it really still. Takes. I think we still have that mindset that like. Well, because we've all worked on film, we right? All, yeah, we we, all we studied on film. film. Yeah, yeah, you know that's how we all began. We we were doing um, Steinbeck's. Yeah, you know flatbeds editing. Yeah. Splicing, yeah, and so a lot of people have not done that. We were like one of the last classes, I think, that so. were doing yeah. that. And I remember just they being, were digital, like right after us. Hell, I think. just being terrified on the Bolex experience. Was yeah, the Bolex. For me. I mean, the Bolex experience was so intense for me. I have it on my arm. Oh, I'm telling you, the Bolex experience <laughs> yeah. was yeah. this. And, and you know you're just so afraid to mess up with loading the camera loading and all this other stuff. The mag, and I just remember how this was a. You must do this correctly you or must, die. It yeah. felt like you were going to die or lose your entire right. film. It was just going to. You were just going to die. There was so there was so much there was so much pressure on an actual film set with real film. Check the right. gate. Check right. the gate. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The two fixed. The little. Right. All of that. All the all the all the all the little codes we had. C forty seven. And I just remember going to the processing center to to. to yeah, and then you had to. You had to know what to tell them, right? Yeah, I was like, oh, I want to push it. I want <laughs> to do this. I want to do that. Oh, my color. And then you'd have the um, the colorist would call you right. and so, be like, listen, I'm not quite sure about this color. What color is this close to? Give me, like, yeah. a specific item. Yeah, because the telesending process, like, yes. was yeah. really difficult in making sure that if you're yeah. – if you're shooting off, they need to know if you intended to shoot mm-hmm. off or right. if it was off or, right. you know, because that, that, that all matters. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. of that. Then, and then also we had to go to uh, sound labs. Yeah. You right. had to go to sound labs, get your sound mix, sit there and talk to them. Sometimes they did a little bit of Foley work with you. It depends on what you were getting done. It was well, a I mean, real... a lot of that you still have to do, but it's, right. you know, yeah. But, like... But it's it's interesting. Like it's I interesting said, I, I how think... we had to go get all those individual pieces. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then we would have to then put it in right. to get it all transferred together. Right. Yeah. Now they don't have to do that. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing that time code isn't even a thing anymore. No, it's not. Like, time code's I, not a like, thing to anymore. To me, that blows my mind. The time yeah, code is yeah, just yeah, not a thing anymore. Yeah, you've seen the slates. The slates are time codeless now. Yeah, I don't. Well, you know, it's so a funny. lot of them anyway. We're we're still. I work in an ad agency, folks, and um. And we're still looking at some clips every now and then. We when we're because we we're calling our work films. Like yeah. we're not really talking about commercials. Well, it's, it's branded content. We, yeah, we right. see everything as content. Yeah, and we refer to everything as a film. And we we shoot it. We have we have shooters here and editors here, and we still refer to the time code because in their editing process. And it's just like and, and sometimes we're looking at the footage. Based on the time code, so it's interesting. But that's the time of day it's shot, though. Yeah, and it's so it's so exactly. Right. It's not it's not like it's not like, it's like, not like the, how the time code. Yeah, how the yeah, time code yeah, was, yeah. So you know, the word means different things in different places. Yeah, and I think that it's it's just it just amazes me. And I'm, I'm actually working with some of our interns right now here, and, and and teaching them how to you know look for through footage and to pull time codes and yeah, stuff like that. That works. Just to pull some things that we're trying to do here, uh-huh. but just and to teach them how to shoot an interview and, you right. know, cameras and lights and so on and so forth. But I Absolutely. think that it's, 
we can't forget about the the magic that is the magic the craft you can't Mm. forget about the craft and how things are actually done so we don't cut things so short that we forget the history of where they go yeah speaking of which let me continue my thought real quick so um not only just a uh, 35 millimeter film stock that set us off just now but Mm -hmm. also (laughs) lots of low shots lots of bird's eye views um lots of foreground background work um so you know heavily heavily like foreground work while everything's going on in the background and soft and then it would reverse speaking of which one of the people who made that a a real big reality was polanski right chinatown and all that yeah the whole making the background the foreground and the foreground the background it was like his homage to to polanski yeah but you know you see that a lot because it was in it was they were doing it in in the farewell too yeah so and we they did it in the previous films we just watched in that last episode i mean the last uh yeah the last episode i can't recall what we watched last but um they were doing that as well and so it's interesting to see it continue on I mean, they also had like a lot of um, oblique angles and just like really great dolly sh- shots of cruising vehicles. Yeah. That a lot of that is shot now just with cameras attached. Back then, you could almost feel like there was a dolly truck riding beside right them, zooming in and out of traffic. And mm-hmm. so it was interesting to see that. And I really appreciate that it existed. I loved all the overhead stuff. Yeah, all the overhead, like, bird's eye view. And so, like, it almost didn't feel... I feel like he treated this, too, because it's like, it almost didn't feel... Did he shoot this on 35? No. He shot it on film. He shot it on film, right? Yeah. Because it felt like film. A lot of. Oh, no, it's shot on film. It's absolutely shot on film. Yeah, a lot of it... I didn't know that. A lot of it absolutely felt like film. Yeah, It It didn't feel like a drone was over their heads. No, it's it's shot on film. It it was like, whoa, this feels like film. So, I mean, you could feel the grittiness, the dirtiness of it. Because it was something about it was the pullouts. The, it was yeah. It was that pull out and then they come back. But it was like the you know how that that machine. Yeah, does it was. It? it was very it was old a different school. way. It wasn't yeah, like crane. that. It was definitely. It wasn't a, a lot of smooth movement. transitions overhead. Yeah, you could really tell that there was some mechanics to it. But you know, we've we've gone on a lot of. So what do you think? We went very technical with it, but I think that... I, I love that. But I think it's a technical film, though. Yeah. I mean, oh, you have to understand. Like, no, we absolutely have And I think yeah. that Clarentino, Tarantino wanted us to see it in that way mm-hmm. because he's talking about a period in time in Hollywood that is definitely changing. Yeah. And I feel like... Changing, it's gone. If you're, a, if you're <laughs> yeah. a, a movie buff, this is one of the films you should see. And I think that if you're a Tarantino fan, right. it has all his favorite tropes without using the word the n-word as they yeah, say he didn't use it this time not one time he loves that though of course now, i didn't see one black person in the where film he's from. there was actually not one black person there in the film no black people they were mexicans they were definitely mexicans. they made a point to mention they were mexicans and they the referenced book. them in in it was like don't cry way. in front of the mexicans right in that like, way what? you know shout out to all my mexican friends yes but i think that um latinx you know, I think that it's something to be said because he was all about the craft of Hollywood, and we, we definitely got to see that. Well, you know, yeah. when he films, he actually brings essentially a theater with him, and oh, yeah. he brings prints, and he gets the crew together to watch films um, out of his own personal archive and other archives. And like that's they great. do screenings. I it. And you they... know what? I think this was this movie was actually a shout out to the stunt people because he that too he did he highlight really them a bit. highlighted the stunt work that was done in there between. Yeah. Brad Pitt's character and, and Bruce Lee's character because in this yeah. role 
Bruce was training people in fight scenes and so on and so forth. They were. And shout out to Sharon Tate and how they used her footage. May she rest in peace. Because when they were watching, when her character, when Robbie was watching her character on the screen, it was actually Sharon Tate. It was actually Sharon Tate. Not her. So shout out to that. And I love how they did that. Yeah, all that was fantastic. And it was a definite tribute to her in all of her, her, her glory. And, um, you know, like I said, I think this is one of those movies you see if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan. I think that's why it was sold out. Yeah. Because it was just because of Quentin. Nobody was going for Brad or Because they were going to see a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes, people like Brad Pitt. Yeah, but they were going uh, for that. What's his name? Uh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio. But I think that it was really about the fact that it was a Quentin Tarantino movie. Because we haven't seen one since uh, Django. Yeah, true. No, he did the Magnificent Seven. No, he did the Magnificent. I was going to say, I was going to say, was the Magnificent Seven? No, no. Yeah, but that's a no for you. No, we're not. No. Well, we can't just. You can't just know the film away. It exists. You can't. You you could say he hasn't done a good one since Django, but you can't say he hasn't done one. Didn't disagree with the Magnificent. No. Oh wait. No. Seven. No. No. He I didn't know he did the Magnificent Seven. No, yes, he did. I sat through that. Yeah, wait, he filmed it was, in Colorado. And I the, liked wait, it. the Magnificent Seven. That was uh, that was uh, Jackson Samuel Jackson yeah. telling the story with the with the. It was called the Magnificent Seven. Wasn't it the Magnificent? No, the Magnificent. Oh, no, hold on. No, what it was, was it? called the Something Eight. The Something Eight. Magnificent yeah, right. Seven was redone with Denzel Washington. Yes. Yeah. No. Sorry, that was my bad. No, it's fine. But he has done a film it in was between. The he has something done. eight. The something eight. Yeah. The the something what? eight. Please look. That well, up. I'm looking it up I'm now. Right Hang here. on. Please look that up for the film fans. We got it right here. Because all Tarantino. Will be right Because I've here. literally seen all his movies. It's called The Hateful Eight. Yes, Hateful, Hateful Eight. Eight. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah The Hateful Eight. The Hateful they, they re-released it in theaters and it was like six hours long. Of course yeah. they did. You know, it, it's, it's an interesting movie and yeah. I actually enjoyed it, but it's but. not one of my favorites from him. Um, and just so everybody knows, he's also working on another Kill Bill and Uma has signed on already. But here's the thing. He says that he's only got one more film in the bag, but I, I read that he is supposed to be doing... A Star Wars. Film. Yeah, he wants to. He wants to jump into the whole Star Wars universe. JJ Abrams Leave version that of Star alone. Wars. Leave that to JJ Abrams. and to do, do your Kill Bill. Kill Bill is yours. He's all excited. and you left it open for possible. Yes, he's sequels. All excited and like so I said, please with, do that with Kill Bill. He's he's ready to go. He's got Uma and like I said, that was one of I my. I wonder how far ahead we're gonna do this. Favorite or is like Vivica uh. Fox's daughter gonna be grown now? I mean, and take it revenge. All like, I mean, come on. Is her daughter grown? Do we really want to see Uma right? doing remember, all the fighting? Remember she Let said to her. Film. Yeah. Right? Remember she said to her, if I, because she killed her in front of her, and she said, if you feel away, come find me. Come find me. When you're an adult. It's the perfect time. And this would be the perfect time. And she would come back. It's the perfect time. And you know who's going to star as the daughter? The Tessa Thompson. The black daughter? Tessa. No, nah, I don't think Tessa. It's going to be her. It's gonna be her. Nah, I don't know. She's the it girl right now. Well, wait, wait, wait. Was the girl's complexion very fair? It was the same girl. It's the same girl. It could be her. It no, doesn't matter no, no, about no. that. You can't. It if the can. lo- if the young girl was was very fair in complexion, and Vivica Fox had a chocolate complexion, Vivica Fox kind of this girl was fair. Remember? She I don't had that remember because she was had long that time sandy color hair. Okay. She's that girl. That's, That's gonna be Tessa Thompson. I bet uh, you million dollars. I mean, it could be Tessa could kill it. Tessa could kill it. And by the way, you know she's you know she's doing her Marvel thing. But if it's you know, not Tessa, it could be like Google, Google. No, 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 <laughs> stop! Don't even go there. No, <laughs> but Tessa could kill it. She's not that girl. So anyway, so let's 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 uh, let's give this a number. 
This this is a seven for me. This is a seven out of five. Oh, oh, five. One to five. That's our numbers? Because I was going to ten. We do five. I was going to ten. This is a... Vaughn, I got a great podcast you should listen to. <laughs> this is a beer, bourbon, and a movie. Thank you. Um, I would give this one to five. I'm going to give this a three. Yeah, I'm going to give it about three and a half. Uh, I think cultural-wise, all the cultural references were amazing. Absolutely. The acting was fair. I didn't think anybody did an extraordinary job. No, there were moments when Brett, when um, Leo DiCaprio earned his, his uh, Oscar nomination. I just thought it was really He had moments there. I mean, I've oh, seen him do better. It's it, uh, The industry loves films about the industry, yep. so it's going to dominate I'm the sure it's going to go in. Oh, it totally is. And, 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 and it's going to be Pitt, and it's going to be DiCaprio, and there's going to be a moment that there were some serious moments where it was just DiCaprio and that camera yeah. eating his face. He was just like... Well, when he was doing all his... his, his and he has a stutter. His solo shot. It's, 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 it's all there. It's all there, yeah. yeah. And you can't... Because yeah. Pitt... But I feel like Pitt, Pitt out, outacted him in some of it. But anyway. Um, oh, oh. I, and I, I have to like, say, let me... Just as a little background note. Yeah. I'm sorry. We, I know we need to move into the next movie. But there was a point where... Because, you know, this was also Luke Perry's last film. Mm -hmm. And um, Leonardo was talking about, and I've watched several interviews, Leonardo was talking about the fact that he used to love watching Luke Perry on Beverly Hills 90210. And he was like, oh, my God. Because he was, like, fanning out, as Wendy Williams would say, over Luke Perry. He's like, oh my God, I love you. I love your work. You know, because during that time he was doing, the, the, right before that, you know, Leonardo was doing growing pains and all that. He was kind of growing into his self. Right. And so he used to think that, and then you had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was one of Luke's first films yeah. where Luke was really stepping out of the, from, from television to film work. Right. And, and Leonardo was acknowledging him. And he was like, I, I want to shout out him. And like, they were like, cause you know, we lost him this year, last year. And so everybody was trying to acknowledge his time in, in, in work. And I wish we'd had more of his time on, on the screen, but you know what? Once again, this is the Hollywood dream and right. people do die. Well, rest, rest in peace. Luke Absolutely. Perry. And so that leads what us. Was, and you Speaking, said you were three and a half. I gave it three and a half. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it three and a half. I mm-hmm. can edge it a little to 3.7. But uh, okay, it, it was fair. Well, I'm gonna stay on the three. I thought I it was interesting. Music. I think it picks up at the end. Oh boy, but you, ever. you in true Tarantino fair. Um, so really stay for the end. Don't get annoyed and walk out like a few people did. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think they were just trying to go to there the was, bathroom. I think a lot of people long. kept getting up and going to the bathroom because it is three hours long. Yeah, um, and it actually didn't feel like three hours, by the way. My bladder said different. It didn't feel like three hours for me. And I was actually, I was drinking uh, bourbon cocktails. During I was the- drinking a 32 ounce of essential water. And See, my bladder was like, yeah. bitch. I had some good old Kentucky lemonade. You are not 22. <laughs> Go pee, please. It's all good. Anyway, <laughs> on to the next. The Farewell. The Farewell, starring Miss Aquafina. Love her. Um... Directed by Lulu Wang, uh, and starring a few other popular faces. Um, I've seen the father. Zima is the father. Mm -hmm. I've seen Um, him on a lot of TV. 
And Diane Lynn is the mom. Uh, there were a few others, but I don't particularly I know. I like them. the mom, but, too. Right. So, basically, the story is a Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while to live and decides to keep it from her, uh, scheduling a wedding instead to create one last gathering before she does. Yeah. Um, apparently, well, one, I should say this one. If you have seen the trailer and you were interested but were taken aback by the subtitles, they are, one, not overwhelming. No. Two, this is a two-language film because it is in English and in Chinese. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure. It might be Mandarin. I'm not sure what distinction Mm -hmm. the languages they're using. It's great. Um, But you can follow it easily. You won't get lost. It's not overwhelming with dialogues. Don't, um, Don't shy away from the fact that there's... There is uh, subtitles in the trailer. It doesn't. It doesn't overwhelm you. Um, and love is love, and you you will feel it. Oh, family man, love is family love. It. You will feel it throughout the film. You definitely feel it. And so, what I really like about the film is it begins with a simple tagline: "This is based off an actual lie." Yeah. <laughs> because they lied. So apparently, this is a Chinese tradition. Um, a cultural tradition in which they don't overwhelm the person who is actually dying with the news that they are dying. I know this for a fact, not about that, but the fact that they put um, onus they on the person that's dying. They don't really, they wanted two things. They don't want to burden them with the fact that they're dying. You're, it's your job as the person, as who, a family member, as a family mm-hmm. member to hold the burden. Yes. When I was very, very heavy, heavily into Buddhism, um, one of the number one things I learned was, um, I think it was out of a Tibetan book of death, um, when you're dying, uh, you don't pray for your health. You don't pray to be relieved. You pray that your family will make it through the trauma yes. of your death. Because that's um, the thing about Buddhism. That it's always about it's praying all for about the world everyone else. And, everybody else and so, of course, in Eastern cultures, um, very much different from the West, they are very, very um, respectful of their elders and respectful of their life and their times and um, keeping them safe and secure within yeah. the confines of their own homes and the family and mm-hmm. within the family um, rather than. What we do in the West is put people away sometimes. Yep. Um, not everyone does it, but it, it is definitely a huge industry, especially definitely. like in, in Florida and the South. And the death industry is a huge industry. The death industry the is very States. big here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was interesting that they said in the film that the more you grieve, the more it seemed as if you love the person and that you could actually hire criers. Right. Yeah. So that if you couldn't cry... You can hire a professional crier to cry for you. Of course, a lot of these people haven't been to a black funeral because we're gonna do the whole. We're gonna do the whole thing. We're gonna right. Have, no. We gonna have the crying. We gonna have well, the hymns. We are gonna have the sad songs. I felt have the that fall way. On the casket. I was like, well, we're you, do all you of don't that. have to worry about no professional criers and no black families. Right, we're gonna have all of that because they'll do all that plus take pictures of the yes. body for you. Yes, and, and, and send it to the yes, people who couldn't make it. Send it to the people who can't make it. And for me, I was just like, I felt like Aquafina. I was like, what the fuck. 
Yeah, my mom. This ain't right. My mom, she she collects all of the obituaries. Yeah, a lot of there's a and, lot of um uh, just, mass cards. Yeah, it's just a lot of that, and I'm just like, okay, but this this film was so beautiful to me. I I, I just can't. It's very beautiful. I can't tell you how happy I was about this film because yeah. I've got. I feel like I've got a peek into culture. You know, the, you the Chinese no culture. I had, no I had no concept of this. Right. And we saw their lives right. as real people because what 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 America lacks is an understanding of other cultures. And I think that Very much so. We, we got to see, and I'm, I'm almost getting emotional about it now. Because we, we only use, I feel like we use other cultures. We don't embrace other cultures. Right. And it, it was so as a, as beautiful. As a country to see families because at the end of the day folks at the end of the day folks i don't care what your ethnicity is we're all it's, it's all still about family it's, it's all family. still about connection it's all still about love Who in some way and, what and, and how that works out for you right. and i think that you can either have found families or you can have the, the family chosen families in. exactly and so my thing with this film, you got to really see a slice of life and that they were trying to hold on to their culture even in the midst of all this yeah. tragedy. Well, I really like the intersection between the grittiness of New York and the sort of the city life in China. Yeah. The uh, the clash of cultures between the West and the East. Mm-hmm. How Aquafina could... She was born in... Uh, um, God, I was practicing the name. I think it's like... Chengcheng okay. was the city that they were in. Um, and how she had grown up there up to she was a young age of like five or six. And then our family moved to China, her father mm-hmm. and her mother. I mean, sorry, U.S. To the U.S., yes. And so her, her, her language skills in China weren't fantastic. She could survive, but there were drops here and there and she didn't know certain words. But in America, you know, you can see she was thriving. She was right. very acclimated to the culture. Right. Um, she came here as a young girl. And so there was a big clash in how it's illegal to do that in America, to keep someone's, yeah, you could never keep to someone's, keep someone's illness, illness away from them. It's their there decision. There are laws against it. Right, because they have the right to make these choices unless they're unable to do it. And then right, you have we, to have a delegate for we it. We have, yeah, we... we we have appointed people mm-hmm. that will assess your care based on your previous appointment of these people. Um, and if you're not, then, you know, natural next to kin law runs sway in New York. I mean, in America. But anyway, needless to say, in even the doctor was complicit with this. He yeah. was like, yeah. The whole culture was He was like, that's what it. we do in China. Right. <laughs> we don't really tell them what, why give them, why make them worry? You know, it's like, why? I, my dad once told me this. He said, why give grandma something else to pray about? And, right. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like that was kind of the 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 gist of it. And so I, I really like the sort of intersection between it because it, you could see the Aquafina um, really exhibited this whole like pain about how do we pretend to be here for a happy event? Right. And I feel so bad for that guy because he had only been dating that girl for a couple oh, months the, and he had to cousin, marry her. His cousin who had right. to, to marry the and woman. And so they, what happens is they have to go there and... and, and, and for this big wedding For this big wedding, but it really it was just a goodbye to grandma. Yeah. And so everyone's sitting around with these sad faces trying to... And they didn't want the kids to come really because they definitely 
knew that the kids couldn't hide those emotions. Yeah, but especially Aquafina's character. Especially Aquafina. She was so close to her She was very close. She was the first grandchild. So, like, you know, you could really understand how it was. And, they, and the two of them just had this 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 relationship. It was, it was beautiful. That was just so beautiful and sweet because really Aquafina, whose name is Billy in the movie, really Billy had this kinship with her grandmother because they were one and the same. Yeah. Um, much, much so like she had with her dad because they were one and the same. Uh, and so it was very interesting to to watch that play out and very very loving to see how that would all just come to fruition. Yeah, and you know I, I like the mother and the grandmother situation because they were obviously in a situation where they were nece- not necessarily allies, but they were they were in a situation where she the mother well, had to accept this this woman who was her mother in law. As oh, uh, Aquafina's mom. Aquafina's mom, because I right. think there was it, the son was her father was grandma's yes um, son was grandma's son. Yeah, and, and so, Nai is that what yeah they called her Nai Nai grandmother was Nai Nai. So it was just so interesting to see how that evolves and mm-hmm. how you're in a situation because you know you're not always as close to your in laws because these are new family members to you. They don't always accept you, right. and you have to deal with that. And I think that. She was dealing with something. She was dealing with she was dealing with her own angst because right. she was very unemotional. Yes, and she explains how she was so unemotional right. that people chastised her at her yes. own. Was it her father? Her own father's yeah, funeral. This whole this whole thing happened to her before. Had too. happened to her before because it's an Asian. Right, it's a Chinese thing, and right. I'm assuming the mom was Chinese as well. And so she was just like. Ugh. Like, I don't feel like crying. Fuck these people. She was so unemotional. Yeah, so and, you could and, see how Aquafina was very close to her dad. But it was so, it was so real. There was, there was not, because you know what, what you, what I've learned in families. Yeah. And, and, and in my own family. Yeah. Everybody has a, a certain place. Yes. In what they're supposed to do and how you live and, 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 and evolve and work within your yes. family. And she had a certain role. The father had a certain place. His older brother had a certain place. Naturally. And he was all emotion. You, you well, know, this brother was the brother all emotion. Was, the older brother was no emotion into the wedding banquet. And, he could and not then he could not. And so I don't know how they thought and how this still exists. But I, I, I mean, this is cultural, so I can't, I'm not judging. But I don't know how they think they can hold back these tears. Yeah. Because eventually be you're going hard. to just say goodbye to her. This yeah, you is have to say you goodbye. all live in faraway countries. But I think it's also what we've been conditioned as Western culture, right. American citizens, yeah. and we're part of the the construct of the goodbye, the death, right. and and the whole process of grieving. And I think that what this showed me, because I was like, you know what, there is there's really kind of something to that. Because I, I personally, okay, if, if if I was dying and nobody told me, what would my life be? I would be pissed off. What would my life be, though? Because I don't know if I would be pissed off. Cause I, I would be mad. Cause one I, thing I have to say about that, it reminded me of my Uncle Jimmy, who was, when he was dying, yeah. he had lung cancer, and he had it before. And when he was, this time it was terminal. Right. And I remember him saying to me, and I thought about him a lot during this, right. when I was watching this film. Yeah, I mean, he said something to me about, well, I don't really want to 
we're not gonna have I'm not having this conversation because he had made a decision that he was not gonna go through a bunch of chemo and radiation and all yeah. that stuff. And he was just gonna let his life live out the way it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He was not gonna try to keep fighting it. Yeah. He had already just you know, they'd already told him what his diagnosis was and he was just gonna live to the end. Mm-hmm. But my family and they're having a family reunion right now as we speak. My family was literally, oh, we're just going to pray for him. We're going to wish him well. We're going to make him well. We're going to find a cure. You know, the Lord's going to save him. But he had already decided, and he told me that this is how I want to go out. I don't want people crying. I don't want people begging me, you know, to try to find this cure. I don't want people sad. I want people just to to understand I'm at the end of my life. And that was an experience that, I had never had before because in black culture, Mm -hmm. you know, we're always about, you know, praying for the miracle. God going to save folks Mm -hmm. and all these other things, you know, all these tropes that that black folks do. I mean, we go to doctors. I'm sure other people do it too. But we all about praying for healing. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm not taking nothing away from that. I mean, it it got us through civil war and slavery. And slavery and all these (laughs) things and and civil rights and so on and so forth. But when you say, when you accept, this is my fate. Right, people don't want to accept your fate. You know what I mean? Which when, is why they did this in in their in, right. in the Chinese culture. Right. Why why put the burden of death on the person who's right. dying? They already and, got enough burden. And then you know, and I've had a lot of friends die recently, and I I think about it young, and and I was like, well, you know, who knew this was going to happen to a lot of people? But I think that if you and it's been a process of, of healing and grieving through that. But I don't know if the person suffering or dying mm-hmm. needs it. Like, right. I don't know, because you have to process your own feelings around it. Right. And my thing is, if I just went to sleep, okay, I'm good. I don't have to think about that anymore. Because right. I have no, no one told me, you're going to die in a few weeks. Right. You're going to die in a few months. Right. If no one ever told me that, my whole life would be different. You would still be loving I but would just be living it. For me, I don't know. For me, I think I have similar experiences to you, which is why you warned me. You were like, you were really going to cry. I, and I told you that because I wanted tell me, you to be prepared. Because I was raised by my grandmother and my single father. And so I, too, had very similar experience to Aquafina's experience in the film. And so my grandmother was essentially my mother and taught me everything it was to be a woman. And my father, you know, in hindsight, really taught me to be a man. <laughs> to be the stud I am yes, today yes. and the gentle lady yes, I am. So all the people I dated, thank, um, thank dad. Blessings to all of them. <laughs> for all the gentleness I've given you. But uh, <laughs> I say all that to say, um, <clears throat> I, I was waiting for that watershed moment when I would just like cry profusely. But it, it happened at the end mm-hmm. when, you know, of course, they say goodbye. I'm not spoiling anything because they are visiting. And so it happened at the end and immediately when she that they, they have that last conversation yeah. and I'm like, oh, does the grandma know? I feel like the grandma knows a little, you know, and then it was also like, you know, they were just saying goodbye and the grandma was imparting wisdom on yes. her almost throughout. And and, yeah. and being as how and it was little for touches. all my siblings who are listening to this. I do not think I'm the favorite, but I was the first. And mm-hmm. so when you're the first, they impart certain wisdom upon you because they, they, they 
consider you to be a little bit special mm -hmm. because you were the first they ever had. You're going to lead the way. You're going to lead the way for mm -hmm. the rest. And I trust that you will pass my wisdom on to the rest. And so the wisdom she was imparting in her was 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 great and I could feel the depth of it because I I remember very similar to to you my grandmother was a woman who was super independent and actually I wouldn't be the woman I am if it wasn't for her yeah. my independence wouldn't be so fierce my strength my determination my drive would not be what it was without her yeah. really really paving the way for me and my sister actually who's actually just like me so you know all the advice she gave um, really instilled in me this sense of never quitting, never giving up, this drive. And so one of the last things my grandmother was passed now, and so one of the last things my grandmother said was she'd gone on a cruise and no one knew, because of course she wasn't going to tell us, that she had some sort of water fluid on her lungs. And her doctor said, do not go on this cruise. We have to clear that up and then you can go. And she told the doctor... I will never let anything stop me from living my life, and I'm not going to let this. And so, of course, she took a turn for the worse on the cruise. She came back to New York. And so I was also one of the few people who knew that she had a living will. Right. And so when I saw her in the bed, she was on breathing, but with very narrow tubes, nothing crazy, nothing, not, no trachea or anything. Mm -hmm. And so she said to me two things. I love you very much. Don't forget what I've taught you. Never let anything or anyone stop you from living the life you want to live. Right. And two, don't forget our agreement, which was that if she had fallen ill and could not breathe on her own, she had a living will. And I was the one that was, I was living with her. I was the one that was supposed to reveal this. Yeah, you were tasked with that. I was tasked with that. And so because of that, um, you know, I took it very much to heart. And it was just like she almost knew. Tomorrow wouldn't be the day. We wouldn't see her tomorrow. Right. Long story short, I say I love you. I felt like it was a goodbye, just like Aquafina does in the film. Next day we come back, she's all tubed up. I immediately tell them, no. I have 90,000 copies that say she has a living will. And so I felt very much, I took this film very much to heart because yeah. I felt like, much like Aquafina, it was my job to stand up for my grandmother. Yeah. It was my job to give her a better purpose, and it was a way for her to live her life in the way in which she wanted to live. Right. And I think her grandmother made it very clear and very plain in the film that she was living her life how she wanted to live it. That whole push out oh my God. of the energy, and then the, there's an ending sequence, oh my God. which you're going to understand if you're paying attention to this whole yeah. thing, oh my God. which is very beautiful. So with that being said, it, is just, it will touch you no matter who you are. Yeah. If you have an intricate, uh, intricate relationship with any sort of relative in your family, that how you grieve is very personal to you. Right. And whatever you need to do, you need to do. Yeah. Um, and so I really, I really appreciated all of that. I just want to mention one more thing really quickly. Yes, I really, okay, so I'm not really sure. Everyone has a bit of a repass, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't do it like blacks. <laughs> Black Americans have a party at a repass. 
it is like a celebration of life, like a home. We call it a homecoming when yeah, we yeah, bury you. We call sure. it a homegoing. We don't a homegoing or homecoming. It's homegoing. It's homegoing, mm-hmm. right? So you're returning home. So it becomes a bit of a party. So I felt like that wedding was very symbolic. Yes, it was of of a repast. People it was. were telling stories. Excuse me, telling stories about the grandmother, stories that people never knew. Aquafina was amazed by these things. They were like these moments where you had to go up and say goodbye or thank people and do all these different things. And so essentially the uncles were doing it. The cousin had a breakdown. Like okay. there were all these different things and yeah. this doesn't really spoil it. Cause I mean, you really have to experience it. But anyway, um, this was essentially a repass. Mm-hmm. That's point one. Point two really quickly was that what I liked about it, this was very much lost in translation. You could see it was very much inspired I'm sure the director had to see it. Um, there was a lot of low shots, lots of conversations, lots of slow-mos, lots of background of like blurred uh, neon signs. A lot of this was a lot of foreground background, really interesting orchestral music that sometimes seems solemn at times. And all these things really wrapped up well in, in terms of crafting the film, which seemed very loose and simple in its sort of like natural lighting sort of way but it it ultimately wound up being um really stunning i'd go see it again i'd give i'm giving this a a solid five oh yeah because it was a beautiful film it was it hold on hold on i'm very emotional about it suddenly but though the pans around the table when they were playing the game yes the, the the two cousins sitting on either side of the grandmother and they were shooting through yes. the relatives. I loved all of that. It was just so, because yeah. you know what the thing is? It's really about family yes. and how they were eating It was the all food. about family relating. Because it was always around the table a right, lot of times. Right, because they have a big thing. It was about eating, feeding each other and grandmother would be feeding Billy. Of course, of and there was just so many, I, I just, th- this filmmaker, she's going to do some great things yeah. because- she she tapped into something that people don't. Lulu Wang. Lulu Wang. She tapped into something that people don't normally see, and I'm glad that we we had this experience. And and it there was just something about it because right. we need to understand more. We 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 live in worlds where it's always just about us and our country and us and our people and whatever whatever. But that's not really what it's about because at the end of the day we're all the same these universal tropes tropes. of family and love and commitment even when you don't like your family there's somebody else in their in their lives who don't like their family we're all the same and that this movie tapped into all of that it absolutely did in just just a beautiful way and 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 i was just i keep thinking about my grandparents in, in all of this and how what they would teach us and those things that you learned. The things and, you learned from them, yeah. And, you know, just little simple things. And on the day my grandfather died, I, I remember washing his back and getting him dressed for church because he died in church. Mm-hmm. The same day that I was helping him get dressed, I remember some of the things that he told me just having simple conversation. Right. And what what Billy's grandmother was preparing her for was the rest of her life. Mm. And even when she gave her the gift she gave her, mm. she said, I want you to use this for your enjoyment, for your pleasure, not for paying a bill, not mm-hmm. for doing the things that make you feel responsible as an mm-hmm. adult, but for doing the things that make you feel happy. Mm-hmm. That's what grandmother, That's what grandmother was doing. trying to leave for her. And 
that was that was just so special. Absolutely. And everybody, when I left the theater, everybody was talking about that. They they left talking about that experience with their family members or their friends or somebody who was close to them who left them with something. Yeah. I think it, it was a soulful touching what you're reading. Yeah. Oh, it's a five all the way. It's a five all the way. I'm actually going to see it again. I really, I really, really appreciated this film. For sure. I'd, I'd absolutely like to see it again without me having to do notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. But, um, but this has been a really special episode, I think. Yes, for sure. I think we touched on some really interesting tropes that everyone can experience. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes. So if you like this episode, please be sure to like, share, and follow us on all our social media platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and where we host on SoundCloud. Um, and don't forget to use the hashtag BBM podcast. That's hashtag BBM podcast. Uh, please give us suggestions, re- uh, views on how you thought we, we, we rated things, what you feel. I mean, we're open yes. and we're out there. So and we definitely want to hear what you have to say. We definitely want to hear what you have to say. And so join us next time for episode 49, where we're going to be reviewing uh, The Kitchen with Elizabeth Moss, Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish. And um, independent film, Loose, with Octavia Spencer. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. See you next time. Beer bourbon. And a movie. And a movie.